Hello, welcome back to Climate Change Unfolding. I'm happy to have dug out my microphone from the bottom of the cupboard <laughs> to be dusting off the dust and recording again. And I'm just going to um, I've just press record. I'm going to run with it and I'm going to see if I can update you on all of the projects and the work that I've been up to um, and what's been going on in my life with uh, community and conservation and climate change. Um, oh my, what's going on in the world? <laughs> what's going on in the world? So I'm recording this end of March uh, 2020. And so um, I am in lockdown now or pretty much in lockdown after a few weeks of um, you know, quite an unsettling time, just uh, chaos in in Uganda, and you know we've been a bit behind the curve in terms of where everyone's at with the COVID stuff. But sending good vibes and lots of love and kindness out to all of the wonderful people who listen to this uh, around the world, and I hope you're doing well and staying safe, and um, and looking after everyone around you at this this uh, sort of really uncertain time. You know, I've we've pretty much shut down all of the different businesses now, and we're in a um, this weird status quo waiting to see what happens and um, you know those staff that can are continuing um, to do some work from home but um, customers and and clients for the businesses are all but non-existent <laughs> it's a crazy time and uh, so I just spent the last few weeks getting myself set up and I've got various dependents and kid wife grandma all living in together now and um and also making sure that all my staff are well looked after and you know they're all gonna be carrying on with their normal salary which i think is really important right now not a good time to abandon all of those people who've been working very hard for your uh, business and i'm actually pretty sad to see how quickly um everyone has just abandoned all of the people that work for them it's not a good time to do that you know and they're, and they're also like surprised at how um little resilience people have been building into their businesses you know so anyway all my staff are at least for the foreseeable future and the next little we're continuing uh, you know this is a good time to look after them and as human beings not as just things that are there to make you money and so uh, you know i i I understand running a business is very hard and if you are struggling anyway this is a very difficult difficult time and so no judgment in that in that respect but if if business has been making a hell of a lot of money and being very successful and they haven't been putting away significant reserves and they haven't been building in some resilience that's just not acceptable in my opinion you know so this is a time to to dig into reserves to look after the people to build some long-term loyalty and to um and to look after people as human beings in my opinion but anyway an often overlooked aspect of sustainability is some um, is financial sustainability and resilience to highs and lows, which are inevitable. And I mean, this is about as low as as things can get in terms of business basically dropping in, into no income <laughs> and uh, for a period of however long, uncertain um, length of period. And so, but built into my business models as is an element of variability in terms of expenses and so for example my staff get a basic level of income which is the minimum you know that they need to survive and, and a basic sort of guaranteed income and then a variable aspect to their salary which is connected to the performance of the business and um and so when times are good they win big you know so there are a lot of you know they they get a lot of extra income when when things are really going well but then it builds quite a lot of resilience into the business when times are 
tough. And so now that allows us to continue supporting them through this period. Whereas like two weeks into this crisis, effectively for, for Uganda, we are, you know, we're a bit behind everyone else. A lot of businesses around us have just laid off their entire team. They pay them for the end of the salary and that's unpaid leave indefinitely. And <laughs> so that's two weeks that these staff have to make a plan for what they, you know, what they're going to do here moving forwards. And so anyway, now um, for resilience, we have, they win big when a, when a business is doing well. And now they get this basic level, which is a sustainable amount for um, at, at least an extended period. And so we will continue to look after them while things are uncertain. Let's not overlook resilience in the terms of in sustainability. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's not what I wanted to talk about today. What I wanted to talk about was what's been going on for me in the last six months of my life. And just as we were finishing the last episode, the big climate strikes, which were amazing around the world, a big project, this thing landed in, in my plate and, and affected, has rocked the whole community uh, uh, that we live in and the, the region, I should say, a conservation area planned by government and World Bank is being declared in this region uh, all up and down the Nile River. It's a big area, 16 kilometers, uh, 3,000 hectares and captures a lot of the area um, where I live and, and work. Um, and that's really exciting for me because, you know, I got into the climate change and conservation side of things, not so I could talk <laughs> on about it and philosophical high horse and, uh, and theoreticize that's not even a word <laughs> but you get what I'm talking about um but so that we can get into some climate action and make some real impact and um get moving on things and so that opportunity came out and it took a lot of my time and so therefore some non-essential things were having to be pushed to the side and unfortunately uh, that included the podcast but here I am getting back onto it now <laughs> so I've been on and off I don't think I've talked about this on a podcast but on and off I've been working as a uh consultant for a little while now um it started off very informally friends and business connections in, in the industries that i'm involved with having an interest in becoming a bit more sustainable a bit more um, climate change friendly and then looking around people they know and trust and uh, you know to ask a bit for a bit of advice and so i did that informally on you know in an unprofessional manner <laughs> not unprofessional i mean not claiming to be anything that I'm not, but just offering them resources and suggestions and ideas and advice and then doing a little bit of helping them with a bit of the groundwork for it. And then and then a couple of them were like, I think we need to pay you something for this. And I was like, nah, it's fine, we just carry on. And, and then after a while, there was one project I was doing, okay, okay, yeah, actually, you do need to pay me for, <laughs> pay me for this. This is a lot of work. And so, um, so I've been doing bits and bobs, but then this project came about. So what is this area and what has been going on? Multiple dams have been built in this region, huge dams, like mega dams, and they've destroyed really important habitat. World Bank created a conservation area as an offset, as like, you know, to offset the environment to the, the local people and the ecotourism that are involved, which, are, which I'm involved in, for the destruction and the impacts that they've, they've had. So, but they did this area in 2010 and basically did nothing and about it and then um a second dam was built that destroyed half of the area which is a big embarrassment because this is supposed to be a, like a flagship conservation area for the world bank and they were using it as an example of their model moving forwards and it was a basically a complete disaster <laughs> um in short they're re-establishing it but much more firmly with a mandate in law so that this area is now protected similarly to a national park but under slightly different framework 
there is a huge range of possible outcomes with this. It could be a complete collapse and failure like the previous one was. But with all of the energy and attention and, and scrutiny, um, it also has the, the capacity to be an amazing rainforest and really uh, rejuvenate and regenerate and protect a, a really incredible and precious part of an ecosystem. This is more precious than your average rainforest because it also includes a lot of a water environment combined with a like rainforest riverbank. So you have the combination of rainforest, uh, ecosystem, riverbanks and an aquatic ecosystem so it's this big mix of precious ecosystem and it's the Nile river is the only river of its size in this whole region of africa so again you get stuff that's that you don't find in many other places there's a huge range of potential impact also um between a good implementation and a, and a terrible one um for investors there's between 30 and 40 million dollars at stake in terms of direct investment of real estate and industry and uh, when I say industry I mean more like tourism and um, thousands of Ugandan community members low-income community members livelihoods ancestral lands precious religious sites for local communities there's also a lot of at stake for World Bank World Bank Uganda and World Bank Washington are involved like in terms of reputational side of things and within government they are being very firmly held to account by the World Bank now because World Bank being made to look so bad that World Bank, you know, have the threat and the capacity of up to $500 million fine for government of Uganda. They also have threatened potentially um, ceasing all funding for future projects in Uganda. There's over 200 projects, World Bank projects running in Uganda at the moment. This is serious stuff for government, serious stuff for World Bank, and it's very serious for the local communities and all the major stakeholders involved. Um, It's complicated. Lots of different people involved. Anyway, it's been in motion for quite a few years with the backstory, but it really heated up in September, October this year. Um, and a lot of people started waking up to what was really going on and they were going to be really affected, you know. So th- there's probably up to, like I said, up to maybe $40 million of, of direct investment. But the people involved are serious investors Um collectively over a billion dollar billion dollars we've got high-powered ceos you've got, got members of parliament ugandan ambassadors to other countries all of them have land here like major members of the expat community big business people and so as well as major in you know millions of dollars of tourism investment and so all of these different stakeholders are concerned about this implementation um got together for a for some meetings to try and work out what was going to be done about it and and how they would have their voice because at the time they weren't really getting a, a proper voice to make sure their interests were heard and so after a couple of like quite impassioned uh, different uh, meetings it was resolved that an association would be formed and a steering committee was created and it quickly became obvious that this this association needed staff there was so much at stake and um it was fast changing environment you had to form the association hire lawyers raise funds you know collect member membership database there's thousands of people involved can you get all of these signed up you know get a communication stream to communicate with members and engage in a very time sensitive um advocacy with government and world bank so all of these things going on at once they needed they needed staff and so they 
I think for a combination of reasons, partly I had a lot of experience in the area and know a lot of these people anyway. And I've got, you know, broad, quite varied management experience. Um, and partly because probably I'm one of the only persons stupid enough to try and take on a project like this. <laughs> and they hired me as a project manager to try and run this shit show, <laughs> to put it bluntly. And um, so that kind of took over for a while. And I was still running my businesses overall this took over and um and for me it was an interesting challenge but mostly my concern was that there was a lot of economic interest a lot of powerful well-connected people um and there was a lot of sort of injustice in the way that it was being implemented so i wanted to address that but i was also very concerned that uh, conservation would get overlooked you know there were a lot of people involved who cared very passionately but not many people who cared very passionately about the conservation and then the other thing that would be that is is very common is that local community members interests um don't get their voice and so i wanted to be involved um to make sure that those particular areas got their say but there was real risk personally for me like taking on a project manager role like that in a third world country where i'm an investor you know and this is a a, a hot political complicated situation where potentially uh, this in, this association is stirring the pot we're, we're working very professionally with government and all the other major stakeholders but still it would be easier for the for the for various people especially government and and world bank if everything just went through quietly <laughs> and you know it's very delicate and tense because there's so many different types of stakeholders of course everyone has a different opinion lots of people keen to throw their opinions in the mix of how we should be going about it some with very different approaches i'm gonna for the most part skip over a lot of the management side of things but it was been an interesting challenge professionally anyway but i I do want to talk more about the climate change related things and the conservation related side of things uh, which I think is uh, very relevant and interesting, hopefully interesting, <laughs> or re- certainly relevant to the uh, um, to the podcast. It's also, I feel like, quite interesting. A lot of analogies and crossovers with the collective psychology of getting this project going um, to the, the more global uh, environment that, that the climate movement is, is operating in. I see a lot of crossovers but maybe it's because i'm thinking a lot about climate change and climate change movement for example lots of people willing to give suggestions not many people willing to really get going with action <laughs> and it's definitely the case in that circumstance where lots of people are, are giving opinions and not many people are acting there um it's necessary to lead with action and to not wait for everyone and um be willing to put some money in and put some time in despite the fact that there are people who are going to ride along and get a free ride with the benefit that you're taking. You're taking, you know, stepping forward and taking action, even though not everyone is doing it. If you wait for everyone, it's never going to happen. And actually the best way to get everyone going is to really lead from the front. And so um, within this sphere, I think that is definitely applicable. And certain people have been really stepping up and showing uh, what it is to... um, to advocate for the right things and and obviously then there's a spectrum of people and some people are, doing, are totally disengaged um and there's obviously this huge range just like in the climate change thing of opinions how we should be going about it whether it's even worth it some people just kind of think what will be will be and um you know don't have that energy and that motivation to really like change things for the better even though they would like to see things change for the better 
Anyway, I think the most important thing to talk about and the thing that's probably of most interest is the community conservation side of things because that's a major aspect of whether this area is successful with its conservation goals or not. There is a rapidly expanding population and um, there's all around the boundaries and even within the area there is a local population and a very mixed population of like I've discussed the demographic I've discussed but what it comes down to is unless the drivers of degradation are addressed no conservation efforts are going to succeed and I don't want to like oversimplify but for the sake of (laughs) for the sake of you know conciseness I'm going to (laughs) the basic gist of the plan originally was to make it illegal to deforest and to clear the areas that are there plant a bunch of trees on the degraded area and then leave it and expect it to be a rainforest in however many years um what we've been advocating for in terms of conservation is to really try and incorporate strategies that address the drivers of degradation so identifying properly what those things are and then coming at it with a really community integrated approach that addresses the need for the the drivers you know there's here it's an amazing place for for things to grow you can plant a tree five years later it's 12 meters tall not all of it obviously depends on the species but i I literally have seen watch trees grow. It's almost like you can see them growing. It's amazing what you, you know, you can plant a forest and then have a forest two years later, three years later, you know. And and so it's an incredible environment because you have year-round growing season, year-round rain, strong tropical sun. You don't actually need to plant anything. (laughs) So if you just leave something for three months, it's thick bush, chest high. And if you leave it for a year or two it's a forest you know so so you don't need to plan anything what you need to do is address the drivers of degradation and so um with a heavily populated area all around the the boundaries and um, what we've suggested is incorporating significant strategies into the plan that work with communities uh, to create income to reduce the the degrading behaviors for example a key driver of degradation is firewood so there is a large population in the surrounding area outside the conservation area often but sometimes inside with uh, low-income families and they need firewood for cooking so often the degradation is happening for people outside and so actually you need to make sure that there are strategies and extensive strategies for income generation and, and addressing things like firewood outside the area in the within walking distance so within a like a a, three, a few kilometer radius of the area you need to address these issues so we put forward partners and and potential strategies like um building fuel efficient cook stoves from local materials which is uh, definitely possible train up community members that need a job to build these stoves out of like a little bit of metal and mostly out of the the clay type mud that's in the area and that cuts firewood by 70 percent displaced livelihoods uh, could be retrained into building these things which would save uh, uh, considerable firewood then uh, community woodlots and 
multi-strata agroforestry or you know basically instead of just having maize you have multi-layers including a lot of forest you've got beekeeping uh, like in episode nine if you've uh, if you haven't listened to that listen in to jenny farmer's uh, episode nine nine trees and bees which is also in in this area and incidentally that area is is uh, growing back at an amazing rate um i've taken some pictures so i'll send to the newsletter um uh, some some of the latest pictures when I get around to it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I say newsletter. I mean more than like a highly sporadic, uh, irreg- irregular email with some nice pictures of regenerating rainforest. <laughs> um, so listeners to the podcast donated, and we got a project going to. Uh, reforest a section of the riverbank and generate income for local communities which is exactly what i'm talking about now um as a pilot and and jenny farmer um uh, climate researcher in the area instigated and run that project and now intimately i send up images <laughs> so if you want on the website climate change unfolding website there's a sign up for the newsletter if you want to get those updates anyway i digress the other thing that's really important for local communities is income generation these are people right on the poverty line dollar a day big families really conservation can we reasonably expect them to for that to be high up their agenda probably wouldn't be up uh, high up my agenda if i wasn't in the fortunate position i am so we can't reasonably expect that and and so deforestation for agriculture and cultivation is one of the key things so um looking at strategies so that they can make more money from the conservation area than they can if they just cleared it and planted maize, for example. So that's one of the the key things. So we're trying on a much larger scale than Jenny's pilot to implement these strategies, woodlots, uh, fuel-efficient cookstoves, coppicing, which is, uh, you know, in in the area outside of the conservation area. Um, It's actually a very good way of making money. And so you can make sustainable charcoal, all of these things. Um, and more uh, strategies to try and engage communities and, and partner with the people. Um, additionally, we're looking at, when it comes to the more wealthy landowners and the tourism facilities, very difficult for government to manage this area directly. Um, they don't have the resources to patrol the entire area and even if they were patrolling for 12 hours a day if someone really wanted to chop a tree down they could just come in the other 12 hours and chop it down you know so it's a it's very difficult for government with the resources they have um to really protect this area by policing it so what they need to do and what we've been suggesting they do is partner with the community members particularly the wealthy landowners who have uh, a shared interest with uh, conservation you know they uh, often they um, are some of the best protectors of that particular area they have presence there and they can uh, protect the immediate riverbank and the ecology with some guidance and some regulation rather than what the initial plan was seemed like you know although it's been a bit unclear but it very much seemed like you would no longer own your land you know houses would be demolished and you'd have to leave the area you know so and since then over the course of our advocacy we've been we're changing things a lot more and uh, working with government who've been or certain arms of government who've been very receptive and listening and changing the plans um accordingly to to hopefully partner closely with um these landowners regulate them to make sure that they're not abusing the system and abusing uh, their the ecology of their particular area but work with them as partners in conservation and you'll be much more effective and actually you can already see it some areas of the riverbanks and the and this rainforest area you can see the areas that are government managed 
and then you you see a boundary clear as day and you go from totally degraded area to like thriving rainforest so working as partners communicating effectively good stakeholder engagement to make sure that their interests are met and um and that the guidelines are clear and we believe that's going to be really effective for uh, for conservation and i'm excited to see what and uh, what happens now it's not a done deal i'm still working on this um now with the corona thing who knows what's going to happen with over coming months but there's plenty of work ongoing but i'm definitely the intensity of it all will slow down as government and and other people and world bank for example have have other priorities um i'm also like keen to open it up to the um to the uh, wonderful and diverse climate change uh, unfolding uh, community that have um provided me with all sorts of insight in the past there is still chances to implement a whole range of other initiatives that can either generate income alongside uh, conservation or um, address the drivers of degradation. And so I'm looking for interesting ideas and, and good examples of where it's been done really well and successfully community integrated conservation in third world environment. It is a different game here where you're dealing with poverty than it is to, you know, uh, doing a similar thing in i don't know the united states or europe so if you have any please reach out i'm interested to hear it sam at climatechangeunfolding.com if you know of things that, uh, that i think I, you think i could learn from um and hopefully i can take uh, i can read up through about them and take them on board and and capture them into the into the sort of uh, development of this area Particularly, I'm shouting out actually to do with agroforestry or multi-starter agroforestry where you've got, um, I'm not talking about planting trees so we can chop them down in 10 years time. I'm talking about uh, ways that people in the surrounding area could use more trees in their landscape and also generate more income. Um, the extra trees would help support the conservation um, because it sort of provides a bit more habitat for biodiversity and also um, takes a bit of the strain um, off, for example, firewood. And it makes them more climate resilient at the moment. The, the way the, the farming is done is not climate resilient at all. So um, I'm looking for partners um, for specific combinations of and it all has to be done in such a way that the community can make more money than if they're just doing planting maize. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be very hard to sell and also maybe not good for them in the short term. The other thing is how communities adjacent or even within the area can make money from a healthy forest within the conservation area. So agriculture is not permitted, um, but if there's ways that they can make money from a, an area, uh, a bit like Jenny has instigated a reforestation program and a regeneration program that makes money by um, beekeeping, there's medic some medicinal trees where you can get some high value, for example, bark, um, but leave the ecosystem intact. Um, I'm really trying to find more. We, we could do with more. The more ideas we can have in that arena, the more successful we're likely to be. Anyway, that is what I've been doing, and it's been you know, quite intense professionally, um, especially juggling all the other commitments that I have. Um, and... Um, now I'm on lockdown and, you know, the capacity to have all these multi-stakeholder meetings with government and World Bank and all the different fractions and parts of government, that's all slowing down as government is, uh, has priorities elsewhere and gatherings and big meetings are abandoned and not reasonable right now. So I'm turning my attention to 
things like the podcast again um, and making the most of what I can do um, and hoping and sending good vibes out to all of the uh, people around the world and, and hoping that this thing can be turned around in, and um, ultimately the impacts mi- as minimal as we can hope them to be. I'm sorry, in the background, I don't know if you can hear it, I hope you can't, that um, I've got this like one window being being house locked, you know, on lockdown with toddler and, and whatever else and juggling lots of things. Um, <laughs> this is the time I got to it and someone started streaming outside my window. <laughs> So anyway, um, I hope you can't hear that, but um, I've got to take these chances. <laughs> it's never pretended to be a perfectly honed podcast in a fancy studio and a good thing too, because in a fancy studio with lots of different people involved, maybe I wouldn't even be able to record a podcast right now. <laughs> anyway, I hope all you wonderful people are staying safe and looking after people. A lot of empathy and, and thought going out to people being isolated it's not good for human beings to be isolated it's not how we're designed and people who were feeling isolated anyway it's a good time to reach out to those and people who were feeling anxious anyway and my goodness you know i think everyone's anxiety is being cranked up a number of notches and so it's a good time to be kind to to each other and a good time to support each other and look after the people in society that most need it um, an amazing so gratitude to all the health workers and, and the people who are uh, really digging deep on, on society's behalf. It really shows us who the important people in society are. And um, thank you to those people. Um, and stay safe. Be kind. Let me leave it there. <laughs>